Hello and welcome to the Learning and Development Challenges podcast series. Adam here is your host and today I'm joined by Daniel Hausman. Daniel is responsible for establishing the learning and organizational development function at Ribby Hall Village, a luxury holiday village in Lancashire. In his time at Ribby Hall, he's introduced various initiatives, including onboarding, digital learning, management and leadership development, coaching and mentoring, as well as a performance management and appraisal framework. So he's had a busy few years. His role now encompasses organizational design and development and apprenticeships as well. Daniel, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, Adam. Brilliant. So what I like to start with for these interviews is just to get a bit of context so our listeners understand what you do, your position within the company and what kind of things you're you're responsible for. I gave a brief outline, but could you talk us through what you what you're kind of looking after at the moment at Ruby Hall? Yeah, so I mean it's a very good, concise intro. I could sort of plonk that on the LinkedIn page, I think. So all things learning and sort of all design. The roles have all quite a bit over the eight years or so I've done it. But currently I look over I look after our whole onboarding journey. So ensuring that from recruiting new starts into the business, we've got a, a sort of six month pathway for them. It's ensuring that all role-based learning, so looking at the skill sets that in, employees need across the different functions are provided for. Some of that's done centrally within sort of the LNOD department a lot of it has been sort of delegated at department level and we've worked with managers and sort of training champions at department level sort of subject matter experts to really create a good learning pathway a big part of it is creating i suppose a framework so that as individuals join the business if they're moving from entry level they're wanting to progress to positions of seniority supervisory management level that there's transparency around what we're expecting of them and how that would work it's managing external relationships so we've you know a number of consultants partners that we work with from an external perspective to ensure that they add value to the business as you mentioned i look after our apprenticeship levy that is looked at from entry-level roles into the business but also how we can redeploy reskill upskill our employees as well and also the leadership management and coaching side of things as well so yeah it's quite a wide scope but it means that there's never a dull day which is nice yeah I was going to say that, and actually we've spoken to quite a few people in learning and development and where the company is, you know, has gone through a, a period of growth, say, which I believe, you know, Ruby mm. Hall has, we, I often hear you've got one, two, you know, sometimes three L and D people and their, the breadth of what they cover is absolutely yeah. enormous. So <laughs> it sounds like you cover from the very start all the way through to more senior kind of development as well. So the full remit. Yes. Yeah. Three, three L and D people's a luxury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So there's two of us, which is great. I recruited about six months ago and Isabella is owning parts of the function, which is great for me. So it gives a new perspective as well as someone to take on some of that work. She's adding real value with a new set of eyes to it. Great. Very cool. Very cool. So the f first question, we want to talk about sort of engagement and impact around in this session if possible. So what have you implemented recently that's impacted learner engagement or that has made, yeah, has, has got people invigorated and thinking and doing learning in a kind of positive way? Sure. I suppose two that come to mind that were initiatives that came in last year. One was a series of workshops. So to try and create greater access for learning content or to learning content. As a business, we've, I suppose, got two sides. We've got a, an operational side to the business, and then we've got a support side as well. And whilst both equally busy, we know that there'll be shift patterns and so on linked to the ops side of the business. So I wanted to move away from a more linear 
development approach and put together a more sort of rounded piece that hopefully allow people to be more flexible and create greater agility and access to learning. So we introduced an initiative called the Management Passport Workshops, which are a series of ever-growing workshops that range from sort of one hour to two hours. So they're hopefully quite short, hopefully high energy and engaging sessions that focus on different aspects of management leadership. So starting at sort of entry level, but through to more senior. Some of these sessions we run with a certain level or role type in mind. Some it's quite open and that's great because you'll have someone who's new, you know, sort of a few months into being a supervisor, sat with someone head of a department with years of experience and they can both learn a little bit from each other as well. So they've covered all aspects from the I suppose the mechanics of managing, so how to do appraisals, how to do performance management, the financial side of being a manager, to the real people-focused things such as having effective coaching conversations, working on sort of development and objectives with individuals as well. So they are run every quarter and we keep adding adding to them. And there's been a really good response to that. You know, that flexibility, the mixed groups, the fact that it can be planned around other commitments from an ops point of view. So they've been really good and we're continuing with those this year. And we've also utilised, so SharePoint had been a planned initiative and sort of Microsoft 365 for 2020. And I think we had a longer rollout. And obviously due to the pandemic, we managed to get that up and running in about three months with the IT team did a great job. A lot of collaboration and partnership, which was good to see. So I've been making sure I utilise the resources that are there. So creating you know teams channels so if there's you know we talk about coaching on a workshop we can also create a teams channel so people can maintain that dialogue and i think you know you'll always get those little that stick with people and then a couple of weeks down the line they might put something into practice it may go well it may be that it didn't quite land as they'd hoped so then there's a communication channel then to follow up that conversation i can drip feed content into that as well and we've created a couple of pages on the lnd sharepoint page that i've termed it input for output so something that is for anyone in the business just linked to their own personal development so there's recommendations on podcasts such as this there's recommendations on things that they might want to watch whether it's ted talks or short things on youtube i've not really ventured into tiktok so maybe i need to explore that there might be books to read so just content that people can go away and access in their own time and I've put a form on there so individuals who've seen it, they might have things they want others or could recommend to other people. So it's, again, trying to be a bit social with the learning as well. And that has been, you know, really good response. And I've seen some good statistics coming through on the access. Brilliant. So, yeah, you've got your, I guess, slightly more formal in-person workshops where get people together, share ideas. I really like that mix of, mm. you know, someone who's maybe a brand new supervisor sitting next to someone who's been in a leadership position for 10, 10, 20 years and, you know, both will learn off each other. That's, that's very cool. But then you're backing up that in person with a, with an ongoing kind of curated content area, and I guess a network really for people to come yeah. and share ideas and people can, I guess, chip in and, and add comments to, to, to other people's challenges. Have you found it's made that opening that up has made it easier for people to, to communicate about this kind of stuff, you know, to actually you know, feel less embarrassed about asking what might be considered a stupid question. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And there's, that's what's really good about the mixed levels and experiences, because obviously someone who's a little bit newer to it, they will just ask that question that someone else, this is what's quite interesting sometimes is it may seem like an obvious question, 
But actually then those in the room who maybe have more experience, you can see them reflecting on it and thinking, actually, yeah, maybe I thought I knew that or I did know it to a level, but there's another angle, another sort of layer to it that I hadn't considered before. And at times my question might come to me, but I might reflect that back to some of the others in the room. And then they can, if they're able to articulate their response to support someone else's development, it helps embed that learning for them. And it, you know, it's a nice thing for them. They kind of get that boost that, oh, wow, you know, I've supported someone else's development today. But there'll also be those who, you know, are a little bit unsure, a little bit nervous in the room. So having the digital format and, you know, as well as being able to drop me an email or, or sort of get in touch through other means, they can ask that question. They can follow up on it. And, you know, prior to the pandemic with some of the development programs we had in place that might run over a sort of longer period, maybe a number of modules stuck together. Beyond that, it's harder to ensure learning is still being engaged with sort of influence and behavior and the learning transfer piece is happening. So being able to have these shorter sessions and there's little overlaps between some of them, deliberately so. So we reinforce some of the core things we're trying to engage our employees with. And then using the digital side of things to to continue reinforcing that. So that, whether you call it a blended or a hybrid approach, seems to be landing well with people. Brilliant. And out of interest, are they mandatory? So are people kind of asked to attend the initial workshops or is it kind of voluntary, mix of the two? Bit of a mix. So for some, based on either the level or role, we're saying this is a required piece of learning for you. And for others, maybe linked more to their sort of level in the organisation, we're saying you're eligible because it's always that, sort of balance isn't it i don't want someone who's been sort of told you have to get on that workshop you need to attend that learning if they don't sort of see any value to it whilst i'd like to think they'll get something from it if there's already a little bit of a disengagement at the start and they've kind of been pushed there they're not really going to engage with it in the way we'd hope so creating that sort of more relaxed framework seems to encourage and hopefully if then they're hearing good positive feedback from their colleagues and peers who've been then it encourages them to go and also if something occurs in their you know their day-to-day that is highlighted to their manager actually this is a piece of development they require it then would encourage them to come to the workshop so but attendance has been very good you know like anything there was a bit of a sort of a slower start and that helped me test some of the material i suppose and then it's gathered momentum so now i've got managers asking when further dates are you know what's the q2 schedule you know what's happening in q3 so Brilliant. Yeah. It's the, it's that network effect, isn't it? Once people go and enjoy the session, they will instantly talk about it to others. And the next manager along will be like, oh, I've got a new supervisor in my team that I think would really benefit from that. So yeah, that's cool to see that happening. Just thinking about impact on this in particular, how are you thinking about impact? I mean, it's really difficult to measure impact for any, any kind of soft skills intervention. And but I think a lot of the people we've, I've spoken to is that there's always a stat or something that they can either try and link it to or a way of looking at it. So, yeah, I'm intrigued as to how you're thinking about measuring, you know, how impactful the, uh, the program is. Well, is that, you know, age old challenge, I suppose, for training in L&D? How are you demonstrating the, you know, the impact, the return on the business? I mean, it's something I'm always trying to improve on and learn more about, but that's why having it as more of an open registration process it not being mandatory actually then attendance can be a good measure of how impactful it is because it shows that people aren't there just because they have to be they're there because they have an interest in it or they they perceive there's going to be some value or someone's told them that it's going to help them we forms on 365 so on the completion of it we use survey and that's a mixture of your quantitative and qualitative 
feedback about the content, about the learning, you know, opportunity says, is there anything further they think that they'd like to see? Big part of my role, I suppose, is almost like consultation. It's going and speaking to people, so stakeholder management. So it's, you know, speaking to the senior level in the business to understand what their challenges are. And, you know, some of those challenges were are things that will inform and influence the content of the workshops. So then I hold conversations twice a year with all department managers and senior managers to understand what learning needs there are, where they're seeing improvements and so on, yes, their agenda to it. But that's been a good piece of feedback that's come through both from managers and senior levels at the workshop seem to be having an impact, partnering with the likes of HR, partnering with the finance department and a couple of others to get the content for them. Because you know, I can't definitely can't be an expert in all these different spheres and industries or professions. So I'll engage with them and, you know, a financing sort of a drop off in incomplete purchase orders. You know, there's certain things that I've asked them, you know, for finance to know that the workshops had real value, what would they use to track it? So I've sort of got between three and five key things from each area that there's a, an alignment to, to understand what it would be for them. You know, we'll sort of every quarter just look at that and say, well, is it delivering on that? If so, brilliant. If not, we might need to tweak the learning, the content in the workshop. Sometimes we've found that actually it does a bit, but we might need to create another workshop because we need to go to a bit more detail. So the finance is one example of that. We found that it's a good overview, but actually there's maybe a need for a bit more specific, detailed learning in, again, some aspects for some of the managers. So yeah, it's getting all those data points and the sort of conversational and the stats and that usually gives you some form of picture about how well something's being delivered. And then it's that constant, you know, continual improvement, those 1% little changes you can make that engage, you know, more people in a better way, I suppose. Yeah. It always be testing. It's my, like that, like that kind of phrase and yeah, and trying to improve. This podcast is brought to you by Assemble You the audio learning specialists. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. My cousin Rich and I started AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with formal outcome-driven learning that had real impact. The result is a power skills library that helps coach and guide listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Each AssembleU audio lesson is succinct and backed by research and real-life experience. They all include additional learning aids, including downloadable keypoint infographics, further reading lists, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your bespoke audio requirements by visiting assembleU.com. Very cool. So let, let's talk a bit about the, you know, you look after such a wide range of, of things at, at Ribby Hall. How are you, you know, what's the current strategy in terms of aligning business goals through to talent retention, through to learning and development? Because it, it feels like you're, you're kind of touching all those areas at the moment. How are you thinking about that? And, you know, what's working and what challenges are you seeing with it? So we, as a business, Really tried to focus on this over the past three to four years, having that clarity of what the business objectives are and expectations and how that cascades and threads through to all departments and all individuals. We've got better at how we share objectives from a department level. So, you know, 
putting more of a, I guess, sort of change in project management structure to the business because there's so many different interests, whether it's a spa refurb or a development of a new entertainment venue or putting in new facilities in the health clubs. All these will demand them sort of the support functions and resource. So we want to have a clearer focus overview of that. And that supports the L&D side of things because it gives me clarity of what the business requirements are, what the high level priorities are. And then I tend to have a two-year rolling strategy. Now, there's some of the stuff we know we want to we put in place like onboarding. So now it's just about maintaining that and ensuring that it, it keeps evolving and we add value to it. You know, I suppose returning in 2020 was about ensuring the business survives. So that was you know, a thing that really brought a lot of people together because there was just that one focus. So then it's about retaining that collaborative approach. 21 was then a huge focus on recruitment and getting the business back on its feet. 2022 then became about putting some of these fundamentals in place. And again, things like the passport workshops. This was a way of ensuring that we got this consistent level of, of capability or competence. And then this year is now evolving that into the more leadership management piece. So for me, there's been a big OD project. This, I mean, I was starting to explore it maybe 2018-19. And then as we came back in 2020, there became a greater focus and requirement from the business for that. So looking at the structures, looking at the jobs, you know, the skill sets that required, do we have the right resource in place for learning? You know, we might have something, but is, can it be improved? So, yeah, that... There's, you know, I think another two phases on that project that we're working to. So again, having that longer view, and that's something that I've definitely had to really work on and improve my skill set in, and I'm sure there's still work to be done, but having that focus on what's happening in the immediate short term, but also looking ahead, what's the sort of long-term view. For me, I guess it, it comes back to that continual improvement of the organisation. You know, customer expectations will continue to grow. We're award-winning, so we need to maintain the five-star standards and services facilities we provide we're always going to need to recruit so we need to ensure that we have a really strong and robust onboarding journey but we also want to retain talent we saw through 21 and 22 this you know huge focus especially in hospitality where there was people moving away from it to be able to recruit and retain talent so that became quite a big thing for us to be quite open, I suppose, more open and more, you know, putting it into sort of marketing and job adverts, more that actually we've got a really good, I'm not too biased on that, but a really strong focus on talent development and that we've got some great examples of individuals that have come in at a, a team level, some with a clear pathway in mind, but others because they needed to get a job whilst they're at college or university or because parents have told them to go on out and start earning some pennies. When they get into the business, hopefully they engage with the culture that we try and create. And then they get that clarity that, actually, you know what, in a couple of years, I might get to a supervisory level. And because of the diverse mixture of what we do, we're also able to recruit someone into one part of the business. But if they've got that ambition and desire and sort of take ownership, we can hopefully match that and support them. They might take a sideways step and there might be a role on the business that they weren't aware about before joining that actually has sparked that interest, got that passion going. And we can hopefully then harness that and support their development. You know, a couple of our directors started at entry level as lifeguards and have evolved through the business. Part of that has come through the natural growth of Ruby over the past 10, 15 years. But we know that it'd be nice if it did, but I suppose that huge, fast growth will taper off a little bit we want to just then keep evolving it so we need to have those clear pathways and journeys for people joining the business whether that's at entry level or coming in maybe as a manager so that is is a huge focus for us and more so than i guess pre-pandemic yeah i was going to say hospitality in particular faced an enormous challenge of 
wow, well, an enormous recruitment challenge in 2021, plus a, a skills challenge as well, because, mm. you know, as a lot of people left the industry, a lot of that skilled work and experience left. So, uh, so yeah, no, that's a big challenge for anybody in learning and development for sure to Definitely. take that on. Out of interest, do you have a skills framework that you apply or use or have, have developed yet for, to help with the kind of different job roles, positions and how people progress we, through the business? We, we did and we do, but we're evolving it. So that's part of this org design project at the minute is looking at each job role within the organization and identifying the kind of key skills that sit within that. So that's partly done through sort of surveys. It's part of sort of review meetings with managers to kind of dig down into the detail of that role and understand what's a requirement of it. And then that allows me to identify where there are kind of skill families that exist. So there might be you know, a couple of different job roles, but actually the skills that are a requirement to perform in that role are quite similar. So that allows me then to consider, well, where do we, you know, are we robust in those skill areas? Are we quite weak? A little bit of, again, is trying to forecast and look ahead for skills that might be a requirement in another three to five years. And again, it's ensuring that we've got that succession piece in, in place. I've been to a number of events recently, like World of Learning and things like that. And a lot of conversation around the kind of currency of skills. So, you know, although I thought we had some good stuff in place, it's helped me see, well, there are gaps and there's things that we could keep building on that will add more value for us. And that's been engaged with pretty well, actually, with managers sort of getting into it and understanding almost in their terminology, in their language, what the skill sets are, rather than me kind of looking at the job spec and saying, right, well, I can pick out these skills. They might see it slightly differently. So having that collaborative approach, again, seems to add more value. Brilliant. Brilliant. Very cool. Any, any big hurdles you've come, you've come across with trying to implement new learning and development initiatives? This is one of my, one of my favorite questions. I always feel like we learn the most when, when we, you know, get knocked back, et cetera. But yeah, anything that's proved particularly challenging in the last couple of years? Quite a lot of it, I guess. I suppose a big piece, and this is something I've I hopefully have got better at over the years and I'm sure we'll hopefully continue to do so, is understanding and this comes back to, I guess, asking better questions as part of the initial stage, but really understanding what outputs managers and employees are going to need from a piece of learning. So, you know, I could put together what I might perceive to be an amazing workshop or course, and whether it's on a skill or a behavioral piece. But if I've not asked good questions at the start to understand, well, what there's a guy, you know, I've watched a couple of times called Paul Matthews, who talks a lot about learning transfer and, and seeing that behavior come back into the workplace. And is a thing he's touched on a couple of times about like, you know, asking good questions at the start of something, because it, it may not be a training need that's therefore yeah. going to solve a problem. It might be a workload issue or, you know, a systems issue. So there's other things to, to involve. So that collaborative thing and asking good questions has been key. Yeah, interestingly, with the facilitator, so the individual that I recruited, Isabella, a big part of her focus is the food and beverage side of our business. You know, we have, I think about 35% of our employees are based within some of our different eateries, restaurants and so on, from entry level through to kind of your fine dining style. So a big part of her role, we thought, well, is getting in there. She's got great experience in that field. And doing some coaching with individuals and some, but we started to identify because there's been so much change and we're still, you know, we're getting there, but there's still at times staffing issues. It's not the best format. And what she wants to be able to do is coach them against a clear set of standards that we identified because of all the changes that's happened weren't apparent in some of the departments. What we then decided to do is actually we'll create a central learning journey so all food and beverage employees will go through what we're calling a Service Excellence Academy, which is a series of different modules 
to cover different parts. So, so all of them will do, I think, two or three. And then depending on the department they're going to join and the skill set that's going to be demanded of them, we've got then different modules to see. So again, it was starting out with something that looked quite straightforward, you know, get in there and coach and sort of see that learning happen. But because we, and again, it was no one's fault, just because of what had gone on over the past two years, some of those standards had changed but not been set out. So there was a bit of a lack of clarity over what, you know, from how do we want a table to be set to how do we want to greet a guest. So that then became a bigger thing. But again, it was about meeting with those F&B managers and some of the teams and understanding what does good look like for you, right? We can then put that into a workshop and then that'll allow Isabella to coach against those standards and build that relationship with new starts. So what seemed like quite straightforward six months ago has evolved. And again, that meant that we had to spend more time on it. it. You know, we couldn't deliver it as quickly as maybe we'd hoped up and running with that over recent weeks. And again, we're seeing a good response to it. So, you know, you have to continually evolve, don't you? And listen to what your, you know, your customers, which are our employees from an L&D point of view, are saying. I think from a challenge point of view, logistics is always one of the main ones. How do ops departments and support as well? How do they release employees at different levels at different times to attend some learning when they're potentially challenged on staffing levels, when that individual works a set amount of hours, perhaps, you know, a working pattern isn't a nine to five, but it's more that way from the L&D team. Whereas we know a lot of our front house going to be evenings, weekends. So it's understanding what we need to do and when we need to be available for them to engage with that learning to hopefully allow them to go on and progress and perform. Brilliant. Yeah. You sounds like a classic kind of take a step back to see the full scope yeah. of the problem and then iterate around that versus, yeah, solving the problem you thought was there, but actually once you get into it, you're like, okay, no, there's two or three other things we need to tackle first and yeah. then we can get to that type of thing. Yeah, no, that's a, always a good one. And I think as like, as humans, like we always go in to any scenario with a, with a preconception, don't we, about what needs to be done. And there's always a, there's always a lesson there to actually, you're right, li listen to the, listen to your end kind of users and your customers as such to, to really identify what the, what the need is. Oh uh, yeah, I should, yeah, I should definitely do that a bit more. <laughs> Just think I'll uh, take that advice on board myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Final, I don't always follow question. it as well as I should myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Final question. And this is, this is a bit of a fun one. It's a bit of a hypothetical. So if you were starting in a new company or in a new business, learning engagement was low and maybe learning culture wasn't very good. What would you do as a learning development professional? Where, where would you start? For myself, it would be go and engage with people. It would be to speak to as many individuals as I could. So at that senior level to understand what their perception of the LNOD function is, what outputs they're looking for, but also what the business challenges or objectives are to get a real picture of where they are and where the direction, what the vision is, speak to department managers to understand again, what is that from their perspective? What are the potential challenges? What do they want from an L&D function? But also, at, you know, at the entry level or team level to understand what their experience is, because that will identify where there are patterns, where there are threads. And then it's about, it'll also then inform what we prioritize and how we piece it together. You know, when I started in the role, we'd never had a central L&D position in the business. So it's kind of what I had to do then was go and speak to people. I needed to understand what they did. I think a key thing for L&OD or anything in that sphere is that our kind of currency is people. So regardless of what they do, it's understanding what their 
drivers are, their motivation, have they got clarity of purpose? Is it clear what's expected of them? Is it that they don't know what's next? You know, if they're kind of looking for aspiration, is it clear that the business is heading in this direction and that's cascaded through? So communication tends to be a big part of it. It's almost like a, I know you call it like a SWOT analysis, but a big engagement piece. And I, I think I do that a mixture of in-person because I think it's also about building those relationships and sometimes understanding what's sort of between the lines, what's been said, what hasn't been said, but also some form of maybe survey or you know, engagement piece through forms or survey monkey, whatever tools are available, just to try and get a bit of a picture. Because usually, you know, I, I do sort of learning reviews a couple of times of the year to understand what the, you know, the, the landscape is. And there's usually patterns. It might be worded slightly differently, but there's usually a couple of things that I think, well, actually, this is something across the business as well as going down into the niche areas. So it's having an approach that captures both. Yeah, but it's an interesting thought, having sort of gone from scratch in one organisation, if you were going in somewhere, how would you frame that? And I'd like to think that all the learning and sort of mistakes that I've probably made along the way here, you then can build up. You've got that experience and hopefully that allows me to keep progressing with what I've done at Ribby Hall. Because You'd you're be even more efficient next time round. <laughs> yeah, hopefully so. And a little bit on that, I think as well, and this has been a definite learn for me is probably repeated myself a little bit on this, but it's really kind of getting to the root cause and understand what the problem is because I think previously you've been asked to put a workshop together or some training for a certain need that has been identified. And I'll do that because I want to provide and support and you know, get in there and start to working with people. But actually, if I've not asked the right questions at the start, I might be putting together something that doesn't resolve the issue because I've not interrogated it enough. So it's getting real clarity. And that's about then having those good relationships man with managers because I might need to push them a little bit more and hold them to account a little bit as well to articulate what a problem is. Because again, it might be an operational thing. It might be a product issue. And then we probably found, okay, well, there is something L&D can support with. But it's, so again, that collaborative piece for me has been quite key. Yeah, I was listening to something the other day and it was, uh, they were talking about, you know, a very similar topic does, is a workshop or a e-learning course or something, or, uh, you know, or an audio course to, to use a contemporary example, yeah. the, the right solution. And it is a piece of learning, basically the right solution when actually could the problem be solved by say a checklist or mm. a, a resource sheet, or like you say, a different product, basically that automate some of the things that are causing the issues that you're having so so yeah i think that's super important people might sometimes feel like oh we've got a we've got a learning problem let's throw a course together when the it's not a learning problem maybe it's just uh it's a it's a different problem altogether and so yeah identifying that first and and providing maybe a resource rather than a course or providing different technology different products or whatever is actually the solution definitely in that with the OD side of the role has become more apparent over the past couple of years. And it's the sort of ripple effect. If you make a change in one thing, it's going to impact somewhere else. So yeah, definitely it's that trying to, and like you say, it's being able to then step back and take more of a bigger picture view to understand, well, is this something actually that might be happening in other areas on the business or is that just niche to your area? Is it linked to a structural change? Is it because of some of the technology that we've brought in? You know, is there clarity on, you know, a direction the department or the business is taking? So is it a communication thing? So whilst it may not be a learning tool that's required, 
LNOD can still be part of that conversation and, you know, hopefully help and support and, you know, evolve the business in the right way. Brilliant. Daniel, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast and to chat to you and find out more about what you're working on. Is there somewhere people can go if they'd like to follow your work or get in touch? I suppose LinkedIn be the most obvious one to go to. So contact details are all on there. Don't know whether you can build a link into the yeah, listing we can put a link but yeah. the show notes if you like yeah no yeah problem. yeah they're more than welcome to get in touch via linkedin and that again you know i've worked on that sort of thing over the past few years to get out there and engage with other people because sometimes i might be facing a problem and someone out there has already solved it in their organization and there might be things i can learn from them so or you'll just hear that <laughs> some of those same frustrations are shared by others so it's nice to kind of go and share that with people and recognize that it's not just you <laughs> reassuring yeah i like that about this industry i think because everyone loves learning and sharing and teaching so much that you know if you do contact people in learning it's yeah it's generally quite a warm response to to questions and queries so uh, so, one of the nice things about working in this industry i think definitely great thank you everybody that's all we've got time for today but we will we'll be back i'm sure with another episode and and yeah thank you so much for listening